Welcome to Redemption Church. You're listening to our weekly podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Well, all right, guys, here we go. Week 15, closing out, finishing out the book of James. I hope you guys have loved it. I love the book of James, and we've had a lot of fun going through verse by verse, week by week, looking at exactly what it is that James has for us. And so the bold words we're going to study today is this, people and prayer, because at the end of the day, that's what matters, people and prayer. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to James chapter 5. I'm going to pray. And then we are going to dive right in. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your son, Jesus. Lord, that you, you sent Jesus to, to save us, to love us, and also to serve us. And Father, if we were to catch a glimpse into heaven, we were to see Jesus right now. We would see him standing at the right hand of God, interceding on our behalf. That Jesus loves people, and that Jesus serves people, and that Jesus seeks people, and Jesus prays for people. And so, Father, I pray that we would have the heart of Jesus for our city, for our community, and also for our church. And Lord, that no matter where we're at in our life, no matter what's happening or what's going on, Father, every single person, whether sick or or, or cheerful or suffering, they'll know that they are loved and cared for because in Christ we are saved and in Christ we are healed and in Christ we are a family. And we pray all of this in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, if you were to, to describe Redemption Church in one word, what would it be? Like if you only had one word to, to tell someone, here's redemption, right? What would you say? What word would you use? If I were to say redemption is blank, how would you fill in that blank? Now, to be honest, we all have different answers because we all have different experiences. That each person has a different experience. And so we're, we're going to kind of um, tend to think about the church in certain regards. And what we, what we like to do is we like to um, project our, our experiences onto the church as a whole. What we'll see today is that that's not necessarily true. But, but what's your experience? What's your thought? What, what would you say Redemption Church is? If you come in and you have a lot of friends and you like to come early and drink coffee and you're on the serve team or you're in a community group, right? you might say Redemption Church is friendly and you look forward to coming every, every single week and you just can't wait to be here and you think Redemption is friendly. Now, if someone didn't shake your hand at the door, if you didn't get a connect card, if nobody said hello to you, you might say, oh, Redemption Church is not very friendly. Okay, what do you think? How would you say? What are your experiences when you walk into the church? If you come from a, a really small church, um, a couple dozen of people, you might come in and think, wow, redemption's actually pretty big. But if you come from a big church, right, you come in and say, no, actually, redemption's, redemption's kind of small. If you come from a Baptist church, you might walk in and you'd be like, hey, um, these people are pretty charismatic. Okay, but if you come from a more charismatic church, you might walk in and think, no, 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 these, these people are pretty Baptist. Okay, just so you know, we're, we're neither and both. And so we don't baptize babies, but we do speak in tongues. And so just to freak you out a little bit. So, um, so, so who are we? What are we? How would you describe Redemption Church? If you come to an early service, you might think, oh, well, hey, there's, there, there's more families. And you come to a later gathering, you think, wow, well, well, there's a lot of families. And there's a lot of single people. And there's a lot of different people. And that's, that's very true. That our experiences tend to define our realities, but that might not always be the case. And, and here's what Pastor James is doing today. Um, Pastor James is trying to enter in emotionally to every person, both corporately and individually, so that way he can serve them. Um, because there are various people in very different places when it comes to the church. And so the person sitting next to you might have a completely different story or situations in their life than what you're going through right now. And there's, there's some people who are sick and there's some people who are well. 
there's some people who are really happy and there's some people who are really sad. There's some people who are getting married and there's some people getting divorced and there's some people having babies and there's some people who are infertile and, and there's some people over here and there's some people over there and that everybody goes through different things and we all find ourselves at different places. And so what James is going to say today, he's going to give this big overarching appeal. He's going to give this big blanket statement that no matter who you are, or what you're going through, that we as a church, if we love Jesus, if we belong to the church, then we need to be a people of prayer. And James is saying, we need to pray for one another. And you're going to sense this. He's going to say, is anybody sick? Let's pray for them. Is anybody happy? Okay, let's sing praise with them. Is there anybody who's, who's suffering? Okay, well, then we're going to need to pray for them. No matter who you are, what you're going through. James' big idea is this, that we should be people of prayer. And that when we pray, we should be praying for people. And I love that James says this, that as James comes to the end of the close of this book, here's what's on his mind. People and prayer. Because those are the two things that, that really matter. And so one of the best ways that we can serve people is that we could pray for them. And, and this ties into the very beginning in James chapter 1, where, where James says, Hi, my name's James, and I'm a servant. That's how James introduces himself. And I, I love that. That James doesn't come in and say, Hey, I'm the pastor, and you need to do what I say. James doesn't come in and say, I'm the boss. Right? Jesus is my big brother, and he left me in charge. So you sit down, and you shut up, and you obey me. Right? James doesn't do that. Here's what James does. James comes in and says, I'm here to serve. That's what a pastor should be. That's what a church should be. That's what our hearts should be. And one of the best ways that we can serve other people is, is by praying. I learned this as a, as a new Christian, as a young Christian. Um, I was about 22, 23 years old whenever, um, whenever God called me into ministry. And so I went to my pastor. It was a man named David Berkheimer. And, um, and I went to him and I said, um, I, I want to learn how to be a pastor. Can I, can I watch you? Can I follow you? Kind of what do you do that, that makes your job so important to make, to make you the pastor? Um, and, and I thought he was going to teach me like, here's these books that you should read and here's what my library is and here's how I formulate a sermon and here's point one, point two. Here's how I build out an org chart. He didn't do that. You know what he did? He said, come meet me at five o'clock in the morning for prayer. I'm like, five o'clock in the morning? Like, I didn't even know 5 o'clock in the morning existed, let alone do I want to get up there. See, as a college kid, I'm just like waking up at the crack of dinner. Like, that's, that's my life. And um, so he's like, hey, um, come up here for, for 5 o'clock prayer. And I thought, oh, okay, I'll do that. And so um, I woke up at 5, and I, I went and joined him for prayer. And it was a very humbling and powerful experience to watch a, a pastor pray for his church because um, here's what he did. He would put some music on, and then he would just lay on his belly. And, and he would get down on his knees and he would cry out to God for his church. He said, God, move in the lives of our people. God, do something amazing in our church. God, do something special. God, heal them. God, help them. God, give them hope. God, move in the life of our church. And it was amazing just to hear a pastor pray for his people. It was beautiful. It was humbling. It was, it was very powerful. And that's, that's the kind of pastor that James is. Um, Eusebius, one of the early church fathers, he says that James actually has a nickname. Um, and, and what it says is that James had a nickname that his, heart, his, his knees were hardened like that of a camel. And, and so they called James Camel Knees. Okay, not a very endearing nickname. Like how many of you are like, hey, Camel Knees, get over here. You're like, oh, what? Um, not a very endearing nickname, um, to say the least. Uh, but um, do you know how you get a nickname like that? Every day on your knees praying for people. And so this, this is James. That every day James would be down on his knees and he would be praying for the people in this church. And he would say, God, God, these people are hurting. God, 
God, heal them. And God, these people are sick. Lord, heal them. And God, these people need hope. So God, give them hope. These people are happy. Praise God for them. God, these people are getting divorced. So, so please comfort them and be with them. God, these people are, are getting married. And so, so God, please comfort them and be with them. And, and God, um, these people really, really want a baby. And so would you please bless them with a child? And God, these people, um, th- these people are really hurting. And so God, would you continue to, to watch after them? And this is James Hart for his church. That you need to know this. Ministry happens on your knees. True ministry takes place on your knees. That when you get the heart of God for Jesus' church and you're led by the Spirit to pray for people, that's where ministry begins. And, and sometimes, it's, sometimes it's corporately where you pray for the church as a whole. Sometimes it's individually where you pray for each person and their own individual needs. But it's always personally that it's always you going to the Father, getting the Father's heart for Jesus' church, being led by the Spirit so that we can pray. That we need to be a people who pray. And one of the best ways we can serve our church is by praying for the people in our church. And so that's James' heart. That's where, that's where James starts. And, and I love that because James really does have a, a pastor heart. And so as he gets into the close of this great, glorious book. Here we are. We're, we're 15 weeks later, um, five chapters, walking through verse by verse the book of James. I hope you love the book of James. I really have loved studying the book of James, and it's been, it's been amazing. It's been encouraging. It's been convicting, and it's, it's, been, it's been challenging, um, but I've never left without hope. And, and so I love that James uh, says this at the end of the book. And so um, here, here's what we're going to do. Uh, James is going to give us um, two things. He's going to give us um, questions and responses. Okay, so there's going to be three questions from Pastor James, and then there's going to be three responses that he wants us to do in light of everything that we learned. So here's the first question from Pastor James, and he wants to know, he wants to know, is there anyone who is suffering? He says, is anyone among you suffering? James says, the answer is to what? Let him, let him pray. And here's what I love about James. He loves people. That, that James loves people that his heart, his mind, his, his prayers are focused on, on one thing. How are the people? What are the people doing? What are the people going through? Because James is focused towards people. And you need to know this, that when people ask you, why do you go to redemption? What makes redemption unique? What makes redemption special? Why do you go to that church? Why do you hang out with those people? What's God's big dream for redemption? Every time, here's what I say. It's the people. It's the people that make the place. See, you know, when you, when you walk in, yeah, we have ministries, but it's not about the ministries. And we're praying for a building, Amen? But it's, it's not about the building. And, and that we have um, a band, and they're amazing. Okay, but it's not about the band. <laughs> and we have a logo, and we have a website, and we have podcasts, and, and we have branding, but it's not about the branding. And, and we have a leadership pipeline for us as a church, but, but it's not about the pipeline. You know, at the end of the day, here's what matters. It's about the people. Because it's the people who make the place. And so James is saying, how are you doing? Like, really, literally, how are you doing? Are you okay? Is there anybody who's suffering? And this form of suffering, it could be anything. It could be emotional. It could be relational. It could be marital. It could be, could be physical. It could be financial. It could be emotional, mental. It could be spiritual. He just wants to know, how are you doing? Is this a dark time? Is this a difficult time? Is this dire circumstances for your life? If so, we need to what? Freak out? Blow up? Overreact? Shut down? What do we do when we're suffering? What do we do? what do we do? James says, you need to pray. In psychiatry, they'll tell you this. When people are in extreme places of um, duress or emotional distress, typically they respond in one of three ways. Okay, they go in fight, flight, or fright. 
Okay, which one of these are you? That when you're suffering, how do you respond? Do you, do you fight? You're like, oh, I'm going to get tough, and I'm going to be strong, and I'm going to be sovereign. Right? I, I'm not going to take this sitting. I'm going I'm to fight. I'm going I'm to do something. I'm going to push it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight. Right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be strong. Right? How many of you are fight? Right, yeah. Um, how many of you are, are flight? You're like, uh, no. <laughs> I, I can't be, beat this. I'm out of here. Like, see you guys later. I'm tapping out. I'm done. Peace. Right, how many of you are flight? Anybody? Anybody flight? Um, the, the 930 service, all flight. Like, all the introverts come to the 930 service. They're like, I don't even like this sermon. I'm fixing to leave. So, um, so how many of you flight? Anybody? Okay, what about, what about fright? What about fright? You're like, I don't know. I don't know what to do. I don't know if I go over there. I don't know if I go over here. I don't, I don't even know what to do, so I'm not going to do anything. Right? Fright? You just, you just sort of freeze. You're like a, a deer in the headlights. You're like, I'm done. I don't know. Right? Fright. Um, that's typically how most of us respond. Uh, James is going to give us a fourth option. Instead, James says, we need to have faith. He, he says, don't fight. Don't fright. Don't, don't fright. We need to have faith. That when you are suffering that we need to be people of faith. He says, let them pray. Now, by and large, we don't know how to suffer as a culture. Like, our culture doesn't deal with suffering very well. We like to change the channel. We like to ignore the conversations. We like to cut off the relationships and spend all the money and do anything that we can to not actually have to face any sort of suffering. And so when we suffer, we, we tend not to suffer well. And when people do study um, depression or suffering or anything like this, uh, what they've said for years is that women tend to be more prone than men to suffer or to experience depression. Um, but recent studies uh, kind of show that that might not be the case, that actually men and women are just as likely, in some categories, men are more likely to suffer than, than women. They just present it differently. And so for, um, for, for women, they tend to be more open and more honest about their emotions and more expressive and invite other people in and seek counseling, and they, they're more prone to talk about it. Men don't do that. Men bottle it up. They're like, I don't want to be seen as weak. I want to be strong. I don't want anybody to think that less of me, and so, so I'm going to bottle this up. And what it does is it manifests itself in two ways, anger and aggression. And so when you see a man who's acting angry or, or aggressive or in dangerous ways, it, it may not be that he's, that, that he's just that way. It could be that he's suffering. He doesn't know how to express himself. And, and so suffering tends to present itself in, in various ways. But James says the answer for no matter who we are is to what? Is to pray. And so I want to kind of say something real quick because I need to be very careful on this. Um, some of you have been told that depression is always a form of sin. And so any form of depression that you have, you just need to pray it away. And if not, you don't have enough faith. Okay, let, let me say two things to that. Because um, I've got to be very careful when I talk about this. Because it might seem like I'm diminishing um, the trials that you find yourself in. One, maybe. That bitterness, unforgiveness, and jealousy... Those are real sins that could present themselves in real suffering. That they are sins that, that could, not always, but could, in fact, lead to your suffering. Um, maybe even physical suffering. Because the Bible does say that sin leads to death, and it would make sense that death would be a result of sin. And so I'm not saying always, but maybe. And the answer is for you to pray. But there are real seasons of life chemical imbalances, circumstances that people go through to where you need help. And, and so it's not weak for you to call a doctor. It's actually, it's actually a very strong and noble thing for you to, to call upon a licensed biblical counselor um, to get help, to seek help, to, to take some medicine. We'll talk all about that in a sec. Um, but I want you to know that it's okay 
for you to reach out and ask for help. And James says to pray. And so his, his first question is this, hey, is there anybody suffering? Okay, come on, let's pray. And, and here's his second question. His second question is this, is anyone cheerful? Okay, big way, range of emotions, right? Hey, is there anybody suffering? Anybody happy, right? See, when you get a bunch of people in the room like this, you're going to have a bunch of people on the spectrum of emotions. Like some people are going to be over here and some people are going to be over there. And so James loves both. James loves both the happy and he loves the hurting. And so he says, hey, is there anybody who's cheerful? He says, let him what? Let him do what? Let him sing praise. Okay. It is possible for us to be cheerful as Christians. Just, just to let you know. Like many people, um, what we do when we're suffering, we like to project our suffering onto other people. And, and so we say, oh, well, I'm hurting. Everybody must be hurting. And I'm, I'm sad, so everybody must be sad. And I'm miserable, and so everybody must be miserable because misery loves company. Not the case. Like, there's some people who are actually pretty stoked on life right now. Uh, some people are actually pretty happy. Like, like one gal, she's got a, a 4.0, and she's going to get some scholarships for college. And she's looking forward to that because she's really happy. We have another couple who's, who's pregnant and they're looking forward to the birth of their first child. So, so they're, very, they're very happy. We got another guy who got a promotion. And, and so he's really excited about that. And then Christmas is coming up and there's a lot of people who are decorating their homes and, and, and looking forward to seeing family members that they haven't seen all year. And so, so what, they're, they're very happy. And so as a Christian, I want you to know that it is possible, probable, likely, you can be happy. Do you know that? Like, it's okay for you to be happy. And I know that I've said it before, and I'll say it again, but sometimes um, Christians or teachers or, or pastors or preachers, um, they'll get on the stage and they'll, and they'll say, um, happiness comes from the world, right? And Christians, uh, we have joy. The world has, has happiness. Pfft, happiness. We got joy. Okay, stop. Um, happy is good. Like, it's good to be happy. Like, it's true that happiness comes from happenstance and joy does come from the Lord. But if we were to take a vote, like, hey, who wants to be happy? <laughs> yeah, my hand's raised. Like, give me some of that. Like, I would love to take, how many of you right now, if, if you could, happy. Anybody? Anybody. All right, good, good. Yes, please. Thank you, Lord. Like, it's okay for you to be a Christian and to be happy. It's perfectly fine. And I, I was... Um, I was talking to Bo the other day, and he's our, our worship guy, um, and this was a couple months ago, and I said, Bo, tell me about the church. Like, tell me where we're at, how we're we doing, is everything okay, what do you think about our sermon series, what do you think about our teaching and our discipleship, and he said, Byron, I love it, because when you preach, you preach on things that nobody ever talks about. I mean, you just, you just talk about stuff that I've never even heard growing up in, in the church, and I'm like, well, well, what do you mean? He's like, well, you did Philippians, like, well, everybody does Philippians, he's like, no, but you had a sermon called The Art of Dying. Like that's, nobody's, nobody does that. And you did the book of Habakkuk, which is all one guy's angry, um, angsty rants against God and just yelling at God. Like who talks like that? Now, Bo's already an ominous, and, um, <laughs> but, it is, but it is very true that in the history of redemption, yeah, we've done a lot of this. Is anybody suffering? You know, we haven't done a lot of, is there anybody happy? We haven't done a lot of that. Is anybody in a good mood today? And, it, it, and here, here's one of the reasons why. One, I tend to lean more reformed in my theology. And so a, a lot of the people that I read, lots of talks about suffering. Martin Luther, suffering. Jonathan Edwards, right? Sinners in the hands of an angry God, right? Uh, 
Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, he suffered depression his entire life. John Piper writing the glory of God in our suffering. And so those are kind of my heroes. And so I kind of bend that way. And then I listen to a lot of indie music, which is just really sad and emo and depressing. And, and so um, here's what we tend to do. So, so because of that, we'll say, oh, happy people, fake. Fake people. Happy people are fake people. You got a smile on, you're inauthentic. Right? Because if you read your Bible, you would be depressed just like me. Right? If you only knew how depraved the world was, your theology is terrible. Right? right now there are people dying and going to hell and, 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 and there's preventable diseases spreading all across the world and somebody's dog just got hit by a car and there's a hole in the ozone layer and the, the, the sun is going to burn up the earth and then everybody's going to be dead and life is but a mist. Haven't you read the book of James? Like, yeah, but James here also says you can be happy that it's totally possible for you to be happy. You know what? Jesus is alive. He, he's risen from the grave. It's called good news. It's not meh news. It's, it's good news, right? Jesus is alive. The church is growing. People keep getting saved. It's been a good day. And so, you know what? There is a lot for us to be grateful for. And there is a lot of things that we can be thankful for. And there is a way that we can get excited about what God is doing. And so James says, hey, um, is there anybody cheerful? It's like, yeah, cheerful. Go ahead, raise your hand. If you're cheerful, raise your hand. Right, right now is a good day. Yes, yes. Okay, at the end of the gathering, we're going to give you the opportunity to worship. And we want you to raise your hands. We want you to raise your hands. We want you to raise your voice. We want you to sing out to the Lord. We want you to, to celebrate the Lord. We want you to worship God. And it's okay to raise your hands while you do it. You know you can get excited about Jesus. Did you know that? That you can get excited. You can get passionate. You can, you can have emotion when you worship the Lord. You can, you can call out to him. It's okay. And so James says, if you're cheerful, sing praise. Sing praise. And, and then he's going to go into his, his third. He says, okay, is anyone suffering? Is anyone cheerful? And here's his third question. He's going to say, is there anyone who is sick? Is there anyone among you sick. Now, when he's saying sickness here, he's talking specifically about physical sickness, not emotional, not relational, not financial, specifically here talking about physical sickness. And, and he doesn't say which type of sickness. He doesn't say big sickness, small sickness. He doesn't say, oh, only cancer, only chronic pain. Um, but he also includes the small ones, maybe something like a cold. It, it doesn't matter. It's a very blanket statement, very overarching theme. He says, hey, are you sick? Been sick before? Anybody? You're going to get sick one day. So anybody, we, we can all relate to this. He just opens up. He says, hey, is there anybody who is sick? But he says, let him call for the elders of the church. By elders, pastors, preachers, um, people who are placed into spiritual authority and leadership in the church. And he says, let them, that is the leaders, do what? Pray. See, there's lots of prayer happening in James Church. He says, let them Pray over him, anointing with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed any sins, he will be forgiven. I need you to know this. Here at Redemption Church, we fundamentally, categorically, practically, personally, theologically believe that Jesus still heals. We believe that, not just medically, but also divinely that Jesus rules and reigns in heaven and the kingdom of heaven breaks into this world and Jesus still heals. We believe that. And so what I, what I need you to know is, is that Jesus heals. 
and so often what we do whenever somebody gets sick or injured or hurt, um, what, what we do is we, we immediately go, hey, are you okay? Is everything going to be all right? Are you comfortable? Like, what's the diagnosis? What's the prognosis? What medicine are you taking? What, what doctor did you see? Did you go to the doctor? And all those things are fine and well. Hey, but we also need to go to Jesus. And we need to remember that it's okay to call the doctor, but we also need to call upon the Lord. That, that you can call the physician, but you need to call on the great physician because Jesus still heals. We, we believe that. And so you need to call the elders of the church when you are sick and hurting or ill so that they can pray for you. And this is so important. Um, you almost missed this because I did for many years reading James. Um, it says here that the responsibility for prayer is on the individual and not the elder. It says, let him, being the individual, go to the elders of the church. See, the elders are always to be praying, but it's the individual who has to let them know how it is that they can pray. And we do this every single week here at Redemption. Like, we believe in this so much, we open up the altars every single week for you to come forward and, and to receive prayer. This is not just for encouragement. This is not just to pat you on the back. This is not just for your own salvation. We also open up the altars for the healing of the sick. We believe that, and we give you that opportunity every single week. But what we tend to do is this. We tend to like to um, uh, be sick in our solitude. And we can almost become victims to our own sickness, to where the point is that, that we say, well, um, I don't want to be a burden to anybody. This is my cross to bear. Oh, woe is me. I don't really want to get anybody involved because, because this is just my lot in life. And we almost become victims to our own sickness. It's like it becomes a part of our identity. Like this is who I am and this is how I have to live the rest of my life. And, and then we can be sick and solitude and suffer in silence and we project that on other people and say, well, well nobody called me, so they must not love me. And nobody reached out to me, and so, so they must not care about me, and nobody prayed for me because uh, they must not be there for me, or they don't know. That's a possibility. That it's your responsibility to call on other people so that they can pray for you. And many times people don't pray because many times people just, they just don't know. They're like, I, I had no clue you were going through that. I, I, I would have loved to be able to serve you by praying for you. But what we tend to do is suffer in our silence and be sick in our solitude. And James says, don't do that. Get up out of your seat, go find someone so they can pray for you. And that's how, that's how James talks. And so we're going to give you the opportunity at the end of the gathering for you to do that, for you to come forward, um, whether you're suffering, whether you're cheerful or whether you're sick. So that way we can pray for you. I love our prayer team here. Our prayer team here is absolutely amazing. Many of them are my own family. Um, so I love them. Uh, but many of them I love just like they're a part of my family because they really do pray for you. And it's so great to, to have conversations with them. They're so encouraging because they're like, hey, Pastor Byron, how, how can we pray? How can we pray, be praying for the church? How can we be praying for the people? Right? Is there anyone that we can pray for? Is there any need that we can pray for? Right? Is there anyone hurting? Is there anyone suffering? And I don't need to know the details. I just need to know, how can I pray? And they just love to pray. How's Ashley? How's the baby? How are you? How's the family? How's the church? How are the people? I just want to pray. I'm like, that's amazing. Because we really do have a lot of people who love to pray in our church. Uh, we have several women who have taken upon themselves on Saturday nights. To, to pray and intercede for our church at the same time and they just stop whatever they're doing and they, they spend time in prayer. And they come early sometimes and they, they pray over the church, they pray over Crockett Street, they pray over the gathering, they pray that the Spirit would be here and that when we walk in, our hearts and minds would be open and they prepare the place by their prayers. It's, it's beautiful. We have seven men, 
Seven men who have taken it upon themselves to fast one day a week for you. Seven men who, who, who I didn't ask them to do this. They just did this on their own. And they want breakthrough for our church and they're believing big things and they're praying for you. And so every day there is a man in our church who is fasting for you. We're a church of prayer. And I, I need you to see that. I need you to know that. One of the first things that we did before we ever even worked to plant this church, before we took someone out for coffee, before we had a conversation with other people about even the building or what the name of the church would be or what it looked like, you know what the first thing we did was? Is we built an intercessory prayer team. We had a team of about 50 people from all across the country, many of them locally, who were just praying for you every single day because they believed that Redemption Church would be here and their prayers went ahead of us. And so we're walking in the answers of their prayers. We're a church that prays. And so at the end of the gathering, we're going to give you that opportunity. Come forward for prayer. Let him call upon the elders. And so we want you to be biblically obedient. I'm not asking you to do anything the Bible wouldn't have of you to do. So don't be like, well, Byron, nope. I'm asking you to do what the Bible says. Come forward for prayer. Why do we pray? Because we believe that Jesus heals. Here's what it says. James says in verse 15, and the prayer of faith. So I know it. I trust it. I hear it. I'm going to believe it. I'm going to step out. I'm going to, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to pray the prayer of faith. We'll save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. In my life, I have personally witnessed physical healings. I've seen it. I've experienced it. I've, I've witnessed it. I, I believe it. Does it happen as much as I want? No. Does it happen? Yes. Does it happen as frequently as I want? No. But does it happen? Yes, definitely. I'll tell you a couple stories, um, just hopefully to build your faith so you can pray the, the prayer of faith. Um, there, there was, at the church, when I got saved, the first church I was at, there was, um, there was a boy who was born deaf. He, he didn't have eardrums. And um, we all knew this because he was kind of prominent in the church. His family was there. And one day after the gathering, somebody prayed for him, and he could hear like the first thing he heard was his, his mother's voice. Isn't that amazing? That he could heal. They went to the doctor and the doctor's like, I, I can't explain this. Right? He can't. He can. It's a big deal. It made the front page of the newspaper. They had it posted at the church for several years. Just first thing you walk in, like little boy's ears healed. It's like, that's, that's amazing. Jesus still, Jesus still heals. Um, there's another gal that I know. Um, she had a, a skin allergy all her life. Uh, it would cause her, her skin to break out in sores. Um, and the sores actually left scars. And, and so she had this for years, and we would just pray. We'd say, Lord, heal her. Lord, take it away. And one morning she woke up, gone. No sores, no scars. That was eight years ago. She's still healed because Jesus, Jesus healed her. There was another gal who came into um, redemption, only visited one time. She was from out of town. She was visiting family, and, and she woke up that morning, and she wanted to come to church. Um, she didn't have the strength, or she didn't have the energy, and she didn't have the effort, but she said, I need to go. And so she woke up, and, and she, came, she came to church, and um, during communion, at the end of the gathering, uh, she took communion, and all of a sudden, she just started crying. I'm like, obviously, this woman's having a moment, like something is going on. And so we just kind of went about our gathering at the end. Um, when she was walking out, she said, um, Pastor, I just have to thank you, because today was amazing. I said, well, what do you mean? She said, um, I have cancer. And the moment I took communion, I felt the, the presence of God all over my body and my pain was gone Amen. immediately. 
and that the chemo I've been on has been so excruciating. I couldn't get out of bed this morning, but I knew I had to be there. And I believe God healed me. And I got an email from the lady, and um, she said that she went to her um, oncologist for her appointment, um, cancer's in remission, and she finished out her chemo completely pain-free. That's amazing. See, see, Jesus still heals. We have stories after stories of people in our church. I mean, we have a man who um, had a heart attack, died, and he's sitting here today. Like, the Lord literally raised him up. I mean, heart totally fine, loves Jesus, got to baptize him. His whole family comes to church. It's absolutely amazing because Jesus still heals. And if you don't believe me, um, there's about 200 comments on a Facebook post I I made this week of people that I know, people that I, I, I trust. They're not crazy people, right? Normal, everyday people, working jobs, going to church, loving Jesus. 200 comments of people who have shared their story of personal, physical healing. It happens. The question immediately becomes this. Well, how come some people get healed and other people don't? And that's what many of us are thinking. How, how come they got healed and how, how come they didn't get healed? Okay, I'm going to give you the best theological answer that I can give you. I've read a lot of books. I've prayed about it. Um, and, and here's the best theological issue that I can give you. I don't know. No, I, I, I don't know. And anything that I would say today, 10 years later, down the road, I have to come back and teach something different. It's still an area that I'm growing in. Um, but the answer is, I, I don't know. I have people that I love on both sides of the argument. There's a lot of great pastors and theologians and authors and, and people that I, I love personally on both sides. Are, some will be over here and they'll say, no, 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 God's will is to always heal and so God has to always heal. And then there'll be other people over here who say, well, no, it's not God's will always to heal and so God doesn't have to always heal. Um, I, I, I tend to stand right here in the middle and I say, you know what, I don't know. But, but here's what I do know. The more people we pray for, the more people get healed. Does that make sense? The more people we pray for, the more people get healed. See, the Bible doesn't answer the question that many of us are asking, but the Bible does command us to pray. It says, your job is to pray. It's God's job to heal. It's the Lord's job to raise them up. And so it's God's responsibility to bring the healing. It's our responsibility to bring the prayer. And so we are commanded to pray for the sick and so the more people we pray for, the more people who will be healed. And so at the end of the gathering, we would love the opportunity. If you are sick, if you are hurting, if you are suffering, come forward. We believe that Jesus heals. So we'll, we'll give you that opportunity. And so the whole idea that James has been teaching this entire week, what's the big idea? What does James say? Whoever you are, wherever you're at, whatever you're going through, what does James want you to do? He wants you to pray. One person got it. Pray. And we're to pray for people. So James transitions. He's asked the three questions, and now he's going to give us three responses. And here's what he says first. Starting in 16, he says, therefore. Okay, let's pause right there. We'll make it, I promise. Therefore. Anytime you hear that word, therefore, you always have to ask yourself this question. What's it there for? What is the therefore there for? And so, so actually, James is teaching this book. This is his closing. James is getting to the very end and he's saying, hey, we're, we're almost done. In light of everything that we've talked about, this is what I want you to remember. Um, Douglas Moo, one of the commentators that I've been using to, to craft out this series, he says that this is the end of James' James' letter. And he's saying, hey, listen, in light of all that we learned, okay, talking about um, doubt and talking about death and talking about um, taming our tongue and talking about war and injustice and racism and sexism and classism and talking about being a hearer of the word and a doer of the word, faith and works. In light of everything that we learn, here's what I want you to do. 
he's coming in and closing his, his message. Um, what's interesting is um, scholars and, and commentators will say, uh, James is not so much a, a letter as it is a sermon. And, and that um, James is the pastor of a large network of churches, and they were scattered all across the region. Um, and, and they had to move because of the persecution and the things that they were enduring. And they had to leave their homes, and they had to leave their families, and they had to leave their jobs, and they had to start their lives all over again with absolutely nothing. And James really wanted to encourage them and, and challenge them and, and bless them and, and to pray over them, but he couldn't do it personally. And so he would send his sermon, and they would read it in their homes or with their families or as they gathered together wherever they were at. It would be almost like if a cataclysmic event happened here in Beaumont and we all had to leave. And tomorrow, uh, people were moving to New Orleans and to, to Dallas and to Austin and to Houston. And some people moved to New York and, and we were spread out or we were dispersed. And I really wanted to encourage you. And so I would actually mail you one of my, one of my manuscripts where you would download the podcast from iTunes and you would listen in your community groups or you would listen with your family or you'd listen with your friends or you'd invite other people. And so James is actually giving a sermon. And you know, at the end of every sermon, I say, this is what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to respond. That's exactly what James is doing. He's saying, in light of everything that we learned, here's what we're going to do. We're going to respond. It's going to give us three forms of response. He's going to say confession, intercession, and redemption. The first is confession. He says, therefore, confess your sins to one another. One of my favorite things about what Jesus is doing through James is what he's actually doing in our community groups. Now, um, community groups are are gatherings that meet in homes across the city or in restaurants uh, to read our Bibles and to encourage one another. Uh, if you come on Sunday mornings, welcome, glad to have you. If you listen to the songs, if you take communion, if you listen to the sermon and check your kids in, awesome. But you're really missing out on what Jesus is actually doing to the fullness if you're not connected in a community group. Because community groups, that, that's where life on life happens. That, that's, where, that's where our faith builds. That's where we have conversations. That's where we, um, that's where we have community and that's where we have confession. And what James is saying is that confession takes place in, in community. And we need to be a people who are in community if we want to actually be able to obey the, the word of the Lord. He says, therefore, confess your sins to one another. And confession happens in community. So I'd ask you, what's holding you back? What, what's, what's holding you down? What's, what's keeping you from living in community? What's, what's keeping you from confessing to other people? Is it your pride? Is it that you don't want people to see you as weak? You don't want people to know who you really are. You don't want to be honest. You don't want to take the mask off. You don't want to be surrounded by other people so they could speak into you. What is it that's holding you down? What's holding you back? Is it fear? What if they reject me? What if they don't accept me? What if they push me away? What if they're not there for me? What is it that holds you back? See, James says, the way we respond to the word of the Lord is in community. And community happens in, through, rather, confession. Building of those relationships and so we need to confess our sins. That's very hard for us to do, especially as 21st century peoples. We hate confessing our sins. Okay, we want to hide. We want to retreat. We want to isolate. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want anybody to know. We don't want people to be honest, and we don't really want to be honest with others, and so we don't like confessing. Um, but the Bible says you need to. It's a, it's a command. And so I'll, I'll tell you this. I say this every time I preach on confession. Name your sin. Don't just say, oh, I have a vague struggle. Unspoken prayer request. I got some pressure points. You know, could you just please remember me while you're praying? Like, oh, I have some going through a hard time and things are... No, don't do that. Right? That's not, that's not confession. That's not even Christian. I don't know what that is. All right. When you confess your sin, you need to name your sin. Call it out. Say it for what it is. 
say lust, pornography, greed, glutton, right? Name your sin. I steal from my boss. I talk bad about my wife. I neglect my children. Name your sin personally. Because here's what happens. When you name your sin, it loses its power. When you bring darkness into the light, it loses its effect. And you can do that through confession. And so James wants us to be free. And so he's inviting us into the beautiful act of confession. The second thing he says is this. Um, he says, confess your sins and then pray for one another that you may be, be healed. And what James is talking about here is actually um, intercession. Intercession is when you pray and you pray and you pray and you pray and you pray. And so he's going to tell us the story of Elijah. And Elijah prayed for, for three and a half years. Okay, that's a long time to pray, right? Same prayer, three and a half years, that it would not rain. And then one day he prayed and it rained. Okay, that's called intercession. It's when you keep praying and you, you keep believing and you stand firm and you stand fast and you keep moving forward in your prayers. Okay, that's, that's intercession. And so what do we pray for? What are we interceding for? We're interceding for one another. So pray for one another that you may be healed for the prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working. So there's, there's great power in prayer. Do you believe that? Do you believe that there's power in prayer? If you believe there's power in prayer, then you'd be a person who prays that there is power in our prayer, and so we're people who pray. And then he tells Elijah's story. Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on earth. Then he prayed again, and it, heaven gave its rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Here's what I know, that when I preach on prayer, inevitably, people start to feel guilty. Right? You're like, yeah, I should pray. And I know that I should pray more, and I know that I should pray harder, and I know that I should pray longer, and I know that we should pray, and I really should pray, but I don't really pray. At least not like I should, at least not when I should. Um, but but I, I know that there's theologically, there's power in our prayers, but if you were to listen to my prayers, you wouldn't think that there's much power in them. Because we all tend to feel guilty when it comes around to talking about prayer. Right? If I were to take a survey right now, how many of you, on a scale of 1 to 10, you're a 10 in prayer? You're like, I'm ready to teach a class. Anybody? You're like, like Jesus, Paul, um, Mary, uh, Peter, um, John the Revelator. They're all coming over to my house, and I'm, I'm going to teach them about prayer. Right? I have a thing or two that I can show them. And they're, right, anybody? Yeah, right? No, you're probably like, you're like ah, I know I should pray, and I, I don't really pray. And I want you to know it's, it's okay to be there. It's, it's fine for you to be there, not to feel guilty about prayer, but, but for, you to, for you to recognize that. And James Church, I'm pretty sure, is in the same place. That they're in a place where they're like, they're like I don't really know much about prayer. And I, maybe I should. And James is encouraging them. And then he tells them the story of Elijah. How many of you guys know the, the story of Elijah? Anybody? Yeah. Um, Elijah was uh, this big, towering Old Testament figure. He was a prophet who spoke on behalf of the Lord. Right? Elijah, he was, he was huge for the, for the Hebrew people. And um, you know how on Halloween, like every kid was dressed up like Iron Man this year? That, that's Elijah. So that, that's Elijah was the Iron Man of the Hebrew people. And so, um, so I can imagine James and Jesus as little boys getting ready for costume Sunday at the church. And they're like, who's going to be Elijah? I want to be Elijah. No, I want to be Elijah. I'm going to dress up like Elijah. That's who I want to be. I'm going to be Elijah. And so they'd be fighting over who's going to be Elijah. That was him. And so if you read the Bible, it tells some amazing stories about the life of Elijah. Um, it tells us that he, he prayed that it wouldn't rain for three and a half years, and it didn't. And then he prayed one time that it would rain, and it did. Like, that's amazing. It tells us that he raised um, a boy from, from the dead. That's pretty cool. 
Uh, it tells us that one time he was in a fight with the prophets of Baal, and, and he just called down fire from heaven. He was like, fireball, boom, destroy them all. Right? That's amazing. Right? If I had that superpower, okay, traffic would be a lot better now. Right? He's like, destroy annihilation. Okay, um, superpowers, amazing. It tells us that he hung out with angels. I don't know what they talked about, but pretty sure it was great. And it tells us that um, when he was in the wilderness, birds would feed him. Okay, some of us, whenever um, we need some peace and tranquility, we like to go down to the park and feed the birds. No, birds came and fed him. Right? He, he's like Chuck Norris meets, um, meets Spider-Man, meets, meets Iron Man, meets Batman, and throw them all together, and that's who Elijah is. And the Bible also tells us that Elijah never dies. That, that God and Elijah were so close that, that God just shows up one day in a chariot of fire is like, hop in, we're going to heaven. You're like... That's great. Like, how many of you, you're Elijah. You're like, I'm ready to call down fire from heaven and get raptured tomorrow. That's my life. I'm Elijah. Anybody? Yeah, that's what I thought. Nope. What happens is when we read the Bible, we can think, well, that was then. What does that have to do with me? That was for them. What does that really have to do with, what does that have to do with me? I mean, I'm sure Elijah was powerful, but me, I'm, I'm not very powerful. And I'm sure that's what they said. And this is now, and that doesn't... I mean, Pastor, I hear you talking about miracles and healings and signs and wonders and prayer and power, and that doesn't involve me. It does. And I want to show you why. And this is so important. I want you to notice this, because if, you, if you're not reading carefully, you're going to miss this. Um, but, but James says something so wonderful and so great. And this is what he says. He says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Some, some translations say he was a person just like you. Do you know that God hears your prayers the same way he hears Elijah's? Did you know that God called you to belong to him in the same way he called Elijah? Did you know that God loves you the same way that he loved Elijah? Do you know that God's heart and his affection and his ear is turned towards you in the same way it was towards the prophet Elijah? Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. You, you know Elijah wasn't perfect, Right? The Bible tells us many times in many stories and occasions in which Elijah doubted God and Elijah didn't trust the Lord and Elijah actually sinned. See, there wasn't power in Elijah's prayer because Elijah was powerful. There was power in his prayers because our God is powerful. And the sooner you understand this, the sooner I believe that you'll really understand your effectiveness in prayer that you don't have to twist God's arm. You don't have to beg him. You don't have to manipulate him. You don't have to earn his favor to get him to move. All you got to do is call out to him. See, the power doesn't come from you. The power comes from him. And so we're a people of prayer because our God is powerful. And we know that God is who he said he is and he will do what he says he will do. And so we trust him and we believe him. And so we pray. Never stop praying. Never give up. Keep, keep persevering in your prayers. And, and I'll say this too. I heard this this week and it just, it just blew my mind. Some of you right now, you want to give up when you're praying. The boldest prayer you can pray is the one you've already prayed a hundred times. I heard that this week and I was like, that's so true. That if you're praying for your spouse, don't quit praying. If you're praying for um, a job, don't quit praying. If you're praying for your children, don't quit praying. If you're, if you're praying to have children, don't quit praying. If you're praying to overcome an addiction, don't quit praying. 
If you're, if you're praying to experience the presence of God in your life, don't quit praying. If you're praying to receive a gift from the Holy Spirit, don't quit praying. The most bold prayer you can pray is the, pray you, the prayer you've prayed a hundred times. That, that was just, just mind-bending for me. And so we need to keep persevering in our prayers. And James tells us that we need to intercede and we need to pray for one another. And then he moves to his final point. And the third response is that we are to be uh, of redemption. Okay, he says, my brothers. Now, this is the last time that James uses his favorite word for us. Over and over again, throughout the entire study of the book of James, he says, brothers, sisters, brothers, sisters, brothers, sisters, listen to me, brothers. He's constantly referring to us as, as family. He says, we're, we're, we're a family. I need you to remember this. I need you to know this, that we all come from different places. We all have different things happening in our life, but we're a family. That if you belong to Jesus, God is our father. He adopts us into his family, and then we become brothers and sisters in Christ. That, that Jesus, not just our savior, but our big brother, looks out for us, loves us, that he's praying for us, and he's going before us, and he's making the way, and putting his arm, and he's, he's bringing us along with him. But we have a good father in heaven who loves us, and we can go to him, and talk to him, and pray to him, and call out to him, and he's always there for us. And he says, but we have each other as well that we are family. And so don't forget that. If you remember one thing throughout James, remember this. We're a family. Because in six months, you're going to be hurting or you're going to be sick or you're going to be suffering or maybe some of you are going to be happy. And you're going to be like, like what did Pastor Byron say? I can't remember. What was, was in James somewhere? What was it about? Remember this, family. If you remember that, you'll understand it all that God is a father and we're a family. And he says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings them back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. I love that, that the end of James' book, what's on his heart, what's on his mind is people. Because James is a pastor and James really does love the people in his church. And as I've been reading through the book of James, I, I believe personally that I've really grown in my understanding of what it means to be a pastor. I'm, I'm pretty young. Okay, this, is my, this, this is my first time to be a lead pastor of a church and my last time, oh, praise God. Um, and I'm still growing in this and my understanding of this. See, when I read the Old Testament, I really grow in my understanding of the holiness of God. And, and when I read the Gospels, I, I really grow in my understanding of, of who Jesus is. And then when I read um, Paul and the epistles, I'm like, that's a church. That's what a church looks like and that's what a church does. But when I read James, I grow in my understanding of what it means to be a pastor. Because you hear this all throughout the book, that James loves his people. That James really does care for his people. He convicts them. He calls them out, for sure. But he always does it in grace. He never leaves them in guilt. He always does it in love. And he's always reaching out for them. And as I was preparing throughout this whole series, I believe that God's really given me a burden for you as my people. Um, and, and so... You know, when I wake up in the morning, how are the people? When, when I'm going throughout the day and people are texting and emailing and calling and I'm, I'm talking, to, I'm, it's about you because you're my people. And it's amazing because as a pastor, um, you do have to enter in emotionally to every single person. Uh, you know, this week I got a call that, um, you know, one person uh, set a date for their wedding and five minutes later I got a call that another person's grandfather died. All in the same day. 
right back to back. And so it's this confluence of emotions that happens in the life of a pastor. And I love you as my people. And when me and Ashley have dinner at night, we, we pray. We say, God, God, bless our marriage. God, pray for our baby. And God, be with our church. And, and when we go to bed at night, we're praying for you as a church. And I, I truly believe that this series is more so than any, um, has really given me a heart for our church. And I love that James says this in his clothes because this is James' heart. This is James' mind. That James is praying for his people. And it's not just the people who are in the room, but it's also the people who have wandered. He says, for the one who's wandered. Has any of you ever wandered? Yeah, we've all wandered. How many of you, when you were kids, you ever got lost? Right? Yeah, it was terrifying, right? I mean, um, you, you didn't mean to or intend to. You just kind of saw something, um, caught your attention. Maybe it was a little shiny, and you're at Walmart or Target, and you're like, ooh, that's nice. And so you walk away, and then you turn around, and you're like, where's my parents? Oh, my God, I'm lost. Help! Right? It's a terrifying moment. Um, parents, have you ever lost a kid? Okay, I lose my keys, so I'm pretty sure I'm going to lose my kid. Okay? Um, and, and so I'm just, just, Lord, please give me the grace. Um, it's going to be a, it's, it's a, it's, I'm, I'm prophesying into my future. It's, it's going to be a day. Um, it's going to be terrifying. And that's the same thing that happens to us. That, that we take our eyes off of Jesus and we start to focus namely on sin and slowly but surely we, we wander away. It's not that we do it on purpose or that we mean to. Sometimes we do, but sometimes it's a slow, gradual shift till eventually we, we've turned our back on the Lord and we're following after our sin and we've wandered. We all do it. We're all prone to do it. We all will do it. And so I want to give you a couple of things that... Um, ways that you can guard your heart against wandering. Uh, three ways in which we wander, very briefly before we close. Um, first, we can wander theologically. Uh, this is where you begin to deny core doctrinal tr- truths. I have a friend, this is what happened to him. Uh, he liked to play the hypothetical game. Any of y'all ever play the hypothetical game? We'd be hanging out and be like, hypothetically, is the Bible really God's word? Or did people just make that up so they can make civilizations obey and tell people what to do? I'm like, what? Yes, it's God's word. Hypothetically, did God really create the universe? I'm like, well, we're here. Hypothetically, yes. Um, Hypothetically, um, is there really a hell? I'm like, yes. And hypothetically, you could go there for asking that question. Okay, did Jesus really die for our sins? Yes, what are you talking about? And see, what what started originally as just fun conversations with friends who kind of want to grow in their faith eventually led him to watching YouTube videos and listening to false teachers and reading crazy, stupid books about numerology and insane things. And then eventually, he's not a Christian. He just stopped going to church, stopped reading his Bible, stopped being in community, and he just kind of wandered away. Theologically, he wandered. The second way many people wander is, is morally. Um, this is when you say, I know what the Bible says, I don't care. I know what the Bible says, but nah, I don't want to do that. In the seven-something years that I've, I've been a pastor, this is what I see most often, is that, that people um, reject the Word of God and they rebel against God. Most of the time, it's morally. I see it happen a lot with, with young women. Young women who um, join a church and they're in a community group uh, they're reading their Bibles, they're praying, and they're, they're growing. And one of the things that they really want is, is, is they really want to be in a relationship. And, and they, want to, they, want to, they want to get married, and they want to start a family. And, and so young women, um, they, t- 
typically, oftentimes, um, they know they shouldn't, but they start dating a non-Christian. And I said, don't do that. They said, well, I know he's not a Christian. I know the Bible says we shouldn't sleep together. And I, I know that I shouldn't do it, but I really like him. And I think that I can change him. And I'm like, that's not true. Don't, don't do that. Please don't. And slowly but surely, she changes the Lord for a boy. She really wants that relationship, but she chooses the wrong one. And my heart breaks for that because I know that God has good. And I, I know that God loves, and I know that God has best. That's not the best. I also see it a lot in immature men, young men who just decide, you know what, I'm tough and I'm strong and I don't really care what you say and I'm going to go have fun and I'm going to do it my way and I'm going to live my life and I'm going to make my choices. I'm going to have my job. Selfish, immature, broken boys make a mess of everything. Morally, they decide, I'm going to be my own God and I'm going to rule my own life and they walk away from the Lord. Both. It breaks my heart. There's a long list of people in my life that I've personally led to the Lord who are no longer walking with Jesus. I mean, I just, I can see their faces now as I close my eyes. People from Houston and from New York and people from when I first became a Christian who slowly but surely they wander theologically or morally, but the one that breaks my heart the most is relationally. When they cut off relationships with the people that love them. You see, it doesn't bother me whenever people leave our church. Like, that happens. People leave our church. And when they leave for our church for another church, like, that's cool. Like, it hurts for a little bit, but, you know, I understand how, how it works. Um, sometimes God calls you to another place, and, and sometimes some things happen, or there's disagreements, or there's some theological divisions, and so you're like, hey, you know what, we're gone. Um, but I love Jesus, and this church loves Jesus, and they preach the Bible, and they're spirit-filled, and I'm worshiping Jesus. I'm like, that's cool. You know, In heaven, we're all on the same team. We're all going to be there anyway. Praise God. But it's when people leave our church for no reason, go nowhere, or a bad reason, and they're in a bad place. That breaks my heart. Because they're in relationship, and then they're not in relationship. They're in community, and then they're not in community. One day they wake up, and they're like, I'm gone. And when people I love turn their back on the Lord... That hurts. I think I call and no answer. I text and there's no response. I reach out, nothing. And I think, really? Like you were in my house, like every day. Like we would read our Bibles together. We would, we would cry together, right? I, I performed your wedding. Right? I led you to the Lord. Like you held my baby in the hospital. Like, and now you won't even talk to me, really? It, stop calling, stop texting. I'm done. And they, they break relationship, not just with me, but with the Lord. And that's what hurts the most as a pastor. Because you love people and you want the best for people. And you really do care for them. And then they break relationship or they wander away. So what do we do with wandering people? Well, we pray for them. James, we talk a lot about prayer, so we should do that. But what else do we do? He says, if you know them, go get them. That if you, if you know them and you know where they're at, well, go find them. Go reach out to them. Go call them. Go do something. Bring them back. And the one who brings back a wanderer covers the multitude of sins. James says, if you know them, go get them. And, and, and this is why I love this so much, because this is James' heart. This is, this is my heart. That we, we started this church for the wanderers, 
for the ones who were raised in church and um, rejected Jesus and made bad decisions. And now they're, they're coming back to the Lord and they're saying, hey, I want hope and I need redemption and I need salvation. And I need grace and I need mercy. And we created a space so you can receive that. That's the, many, that's the reason many of you are here today. You're here today because you needed redemption. Not just the church, but, but you need redemption, the man, the man, Jesus Christ. And you were raised in church and you rejected Jesus and, and somebody invited you, somebody reached out to you, somebody called you, somebody, somebody brought you here. And, and so you're at redemption because, because somebody got you. Wherever you were at or whatever you were doing, somebody somewhere was there for you. And so we need to do the same for other people. You know, that's the whole reason we named our church Redemption. Right, redemption literally means to bring back, right? That's, that's, what we, that's what we want, right? And so we want for people to come back to worshiping and serving the Lord. When we, Ashley and I moved here, we had no intention to start a church, none. Like, that was one of the last things in our mind. We're like, we're going to be here for six months, and then we're gone, right? Um, and, and then we started meeting people. But people change everything. And so we started meeting people, um, people that I was raised with and people that I um, went to church with, people that I started working, friends and family members. And over and over again, the common refrain of the, the stories of the people was race and church rejecting Jesus. Now, yeah, I, I heard about that. I knew about that. But around 18, 25 years old, I was like, I'm done. And, and they became discouraged in faith. They become disgruntled with the church and they, they just walked away. They're like, I don't read my Bible. I don't pray. I don't care. I don't serve. I don't do anything. And I thought, this breaks my heart. That somebody needs to do something. Somebody needs, to, somebody needs to say something. Somebody needs to reach them. Somebody needs to go to them. Somebody needs to pray for them. Somebody needs to save them. Somebody needs to be there. I thought, Lord, why not us? And so we started to dream and to pray about what it would look like to plant a church for these people for people who are far from God, for people who have wandered, for people who have doubts, for people who ask questions, for people who don't know. And we began to pray, and here's what we prayed for. People. People just like you. That's my heart. That's this church's heart. That's James' heart. Because that's Jesus' heart. When they asked Jesus, they said, why did you come? He said, to seek and to save the lost. That's why we do what we do. I, I love you, Redemption. I, I really do. I, I, I care about you. I, I pray for you. and I, I want the Lord's best for your life. And I know there's many of us in different places. Some of us are sick, and some of us are suffering, and some of us are happy, and some of us have wandered, and, and some of us, we're in a really good spot. But no matter who we are, no matter where we're at, Here's what matters at the end of the day. People and prayer. That's what matters. And so we're going to give you the opportunity to respond. It would be very foolish of us if we can preach a whole sermon over prayer and then not pray. Like that, that's not how it works, right? I mean, James talks a lot about being a hearer of the word, um, not just being a hearer of the word, but rather being a doer of the word. And so if we hear a sermon over prayer and we don't pray, there's something wrong. And so we're going to give you the opportunity to pray. So James says, is there anyone who's suffering? Anyone in life right now? You're like, yeah, me. Okay, good. We're there. I want you to come forward. I want to pray for you. How many of you are sick? Anyone? Anyone sick? I, yeah. Yeah, well, I'm going to invite you to come forward, and we're going to pray over you because we believe that the Lord still heals. 
How many of you are cheerful? You're like, it's a good day. I'm going to invite you to come forward and pray over our brothers and sisters. How many of you have wandered? I want you to come forward so you can come home. We're going to be a people of prayer today. And so I, I would love to see every single person up here in the front praying with me. Because we need to not just be hearers of the words, we need to be doers. And the best way we can serve is by prayer. So if y'all will stand with me. Our prayer team is going to be on this side. And we're going to have, um, I believe, another prayer team on, on, on this side. But what I really want to see is this. Um, we'll pray over you. But what I'd really love to see is, is the altars filled with people praying. So, so come forward and on either side. And I'll be on this side. And you can, you can kneel with me like James kneeled for his church. And we can humble ourselves and we can kneel before the Lord, right? And, and we can pray. If you're, if you're sick, we're going to pray. If you're suffering, pray. We're going to pray. And so we invite you to come forward, no matter who you are, where you're at, or what you're going through, uh, let's pray. Redemption Church meets every Sunday morning on Crockett Street at The Gig. If you would like to know more, you can find us online at www.redemptiontx.com or join us for one of our two services at 9.30 or 11.15 a.m. Sunday mornings in downtown Beaumont. Kids are welcome too. We are Redemption, and we would love to meet you.